This is the Why We Travel Podcast, the podcast dedicated to those who want to explore the world on their terms. Each week, you'll hear from amazing travelers and experts sharing their best travel stories from the road. Listen to their unique travel experiences and get insider tips about their favorite destinations. Whether you're an experienced world nomad or just getting started, this podcast will inspire you, improve your travel skills, change the way you travel, and motivate you to get out and see the world. Discover the art of independent travel and meet fellow travelers in our online community. Now, let's get into it with your host and world traveler, Claus Louder. Welcome to the show. Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Why We Travel podcast. Today, it will take us to Spain and there we will look in the northwest of Spain and look at Santiago de Compostela. Now, this is very well known because of the Camino and that's exactly what we're talking about. So guest today is Lorraine Green. She is the author of the blog Wonder with Ren, where she shares diverse stories and empowers diverse travelers. She's especially passionate about supporting female travelers that are exploring the world solo. In addition to the blog, Lorraine provides travel content tips, guides in the Wonder with Ren podcast. And in her spare time, you can find her hiking and beach going in her native Southern California home. So let's first start and say hello to Lorraine. How are you? Doing well. Thank you, Klaus. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Lauren, give me a bit of a background. What got you into traveling? So from the beginning, when did you start traveling? <laughs> what got you into? Sure. Um, so from the beginning, I think that I've always been very passionate about traveling, languages, and just otherwise connecting with people um, around the world. And so when I was in my university, I uh, plugged into different clubs and resources and then studied abroad. I had the awesome opportunity to travel to Beijing, China and live there for half a year. And then right after that, got to live in Bordeaux, France for a year. And so after that, I was hooked. It's very much an experience where I'm able to meet with other people and learn their stories and find commonalities that otherwise wouldn't be there, or at least I wouldn't recognize. And it's just fun, right? Just being able to see different places and try new cuisines and, and learn new languages. And so I think it's something that just became a passion for me. And I think that now after COVID restrictions are loosening a tiny bit, uh, it's kind of reinvigorated my, my urgency for traveling um, the world. Okay. So recently you have been to Spain, you did the Camino, and maybe give the listeners a bit of a background what the Camino actually is, not everyone might know that. Sure, so the Camino de Santiago is an ancient pilgrimage, so um, it was originally a journey that was made to visit the, I, I think it's like the the bones of St. James and some other relics that are there. Um, and so allegedly he's interned there in underneath the Santiago de Compostela Cathedral. But for years and years and years, people have done this pilgrimage as a symbol of kind of uh, atonement, or if, you, if they're Catholic, practicing Catholic, just something that they're able to do to reground in their faith. And then still others go just to have, you know, the trek itself, the physical challenge that it presents, but also uh, just an opportunity to be in nature, um, connect and with that, whatever spirituality they identify with, and just um, make new friends and and do something that's very hard and challenging um, and very, very rewarding. So, okay. yeah, in a nutshell, that's the Camino. It's so I understand that, that it's more than one route that takes you there. Is that right? That's true. So I think that there are upwards of eight or nine routes, but the most famous being the Camino Frances, which is the one that I did. 
It's called the French Way. The route in total starts in Pierre, Pierre de Saint John or Saint Jean Pierre de Port. Sorry if I've butchered that. Um, and it goes 500 miles over to Camino de Santiago or Santiago de Compostela. And so it's just this very, very long and arduous trek, uh, starting in the mountains of St. John and then gradually going through La Meseta, um, which is the central part of Northern Spain and then finishes over near the coastline um, in the Northwest, as you mentioned. So obviously it's a very long distance. I haven't done it. And so how do you split that up? How is a, a normal day? In, in brackets, a normal day. <laughs> How does that look on while you're on the on the road? Yes. So full disclosure, I've only com I completed half of it. I did not do the entirety of it. I started halfway through in Leon, and then I went all the way to the end of the trek in Finisterre. But they are segmented into etapes or steps and stages, and so you're able to kind of plot out which stages you'd like to do, and then find out the distances there. Anywhere between 15 to 20 miles a day. And I, I suppose that's something like 22 to 30 kilometers a day, something like that. And yes, yeah, so you have nothing but your backpack on your back. You're able to go through, complete each stage. And then what's really unique and quite beautiful about the Camino is there are these dedicated hostels called albergues that are sponsored by the route. Um, and a lot of the, uh, I think like the monasteries or Catholic convents there and then they're able to host you for a nominal fee per night sometimes they're just called donativos and you're able to just pay what you can spend the night have a clean shower um, a decent meal a pilgrim's meal and then you keep on going so it's really really well regulated quite segmented and then you're just able to go stage by stage as you wish along the way to your you have what's called a um a compostela so it's a uh booklet where you get stamps. And so that stamps serve as proof by the time you get to Santiago to show that you in fact have completed these stages and you're able to stop in churches, restaurants, bars, what have you, and they'll stamp as proof that you were uh, at that point. Obviously you're not alone on, on the route, on the um, <laughs> on this very long way. So what's <laughs> atmosphere? What's the vibe? What can someone expect doing this? I, I think that's the real beauty of the Camino. I think you never have the same one twice. Just because, of course, you have different weather, different elements, but also different people. You can kind of have whichever experience you're hoping for. And there's this really great greeting that you just say to every pilgrim that you pass on the way. You just say, Buen Camino. And it's kind of a unifying phrase, right? It can serve as a, a hello and an opener to more conversation. It can also just be like a simple greeting of, I acknowledge you, but I'm, I'm walking by myself. And so you can really have a Camino that's as solitary as you'd like it or as convivial as you'd like. And for me personally, as I was walking, I started it solo, did not know what to expect. I was really underprepared and we can talk more about that later if you'd like, but there's just a lot of, of faith and trust that it was going to work out. And so I, I was solo hiking and I had a, a few concerns, you know, being a solo female traveler, uh, solo female traveler in, in Europe and also kind of in the countryside, right? So not really connected to large cities all the time. But I think I was alone for five minutes, maybe, uh, before someone was like, Buen Camino, where are you from? And just wanted to chat. And, and it's just a lovely routine that you get into over time because it's, you know, it's what you make it. And I had the fortune of being able to connect with two, three 
three other actually, three other um, solo female travelers on my way. And we kind of had the same pace and it was just unique. It's like nothing I'd experienced where you can pick up and you can launch into whatever type of conversation as deep and as divulging as you'd like, or just surface level. And um, you see them again and again when you meet in the evenings for meals, or you might happen to stay in the same albergues. And and so it just becomes a pattern. Um, and there's just this really upbeat, positive and encouraging atmosphere. And I, I, I really don't think that there's many travel experiences that are like it. So now along the way, along the Camino, what should one do and um, see? Because you, obviously there's things to the left and right of the Camino. Is there there's, anything that stands out? There's so many things to do and see. So there is a contracted version of the Camino in which you can still get your Compostela, which is the certificate of completion. Um, and that's from the last 100 kilometers. So from Seria to Santiago. If you're on a time crunch, that's a route that is very popular because you still get your stamps and you have a part of the experience. But I highly encourage if you can dedicate more time um, doing as much of the route as you can. Um, one, I think that there's something to be said for having that solitude and that really like that, the bliss that comes along with just being in nature, which tends to peter out a little bit the closer you get to Santiago. And two, I think going through like the mountainous terrain and then contrasting that with the the plains and then finally arriving if you choose to past, past Santiago and go to the sea, you know, it's, it's just the variation that's quite beautiful. So if there is a must, I honestly do recommend starting in Leon because it's the halfway point. You get the big city feel. Astorga is another lovely place to stop. Um, it's a mid-sized city but it's known for chocolate and roman spas and and palacio de gaudi and so if you want architecture and history and, and great food uh, i recommend that you start uh, in that area and then as you get further in galicia as you trek through the mountains there's just like beautiful uh, forests and and rolling hills and so if you're really looking for some that of that serenity that comes with being alone in nature that's a really great place to go as well and then finally um Santiago itself is very famous, um, I think, in Spain just as a city. But of course, a lot of their popularity is due to the, the Pilgrim's Way. Uh, but it's actually just a very cool place to be. Um, a lot of shopping, a lot of tourism, and then really close to the, the ocean, which had some of like the bluest, most beautiful water. And that's saying something. I'm from California, so we love our beaches too. <laughs> okay, so you mentioned that you were underprepared. What does that mean? <laughs> How does someone be need to prepare to do a Camino? Yes, I I was underprepared. I um, I think overestimated my abilities, and this is it was hubris maybe. But I was like, it's walking, it's fine. It's you know, ten miles a day, fifteen miles a day. What I failed to take in consideration was one, the weight of the pack, because that does slow you down quite a bit, and it's a lot of added stress on your body. And so if you're looking to train for something like this, I'd recommend doing training hikes or training walks um, and progressively adding a bit more weight um, so that by the end you're used to, to lugging that, that bag. Uh, the second thing I'd recommend is just uh, get in the habit of waking early because you do get on a routine. And so um, if you're used to waking early and doing a test hike, that's a great way to prepare as well. A lot of the time when you get into the groove on the Camino, you're up around, you're up and out of the albergue or the hostel around 6.30 a.m. And then you'll walk um, because Spanish culture has meals a little bit later. So you'll walk and have a late breakfast and then you'll 
keep walking. And by the time you get to your destination, it's a, it's much too early for dinner, but a bit too late for lunch. And so just getting in the groove of timing things out is another, another way that you can prepare. And I think that overall, just, um, just being easy on yourself and your body. That was something that I, I continue to learn. It's kind of a recurring theme of my life, but if it's becoming too strenuous or if you need another day of rest in a certain place, And I highly recommend you take that um, as opposed to trying to push yourself through because the whole point is that you're able to embrace this trip. And so um, it's not necessarily a race that you have to earn your stamps and then uh, carry on to the finish. You briefly touched on the topic of food. Now, food is obviously a very big thing. (laughs) You come to a different country, trying out things. Was there anything particular for you in France, in Spain that was standing out for you? Oh, that's a great question. Honestly, it's a shame because due to the pilgrim schedule, you're really not often able to have the late night dinners that Spain is known for. But I did get a chance to have some really, really great tapas. And one thing that you'll encounter is, uh, and this is in Galicia, they're known for pulpo, they're octopus. So it's like boiled octopus um, served as a a starter to the meal with bread and then pimento pepper and paprika. It's quite simple and it's it's delicious Um, with a cerveza at the end of a long day of walking. It's a welcome treat. Uh, And of course, they're also known for like their pinchos. So any kind of uh, tapa, uh, a lot of the time they have the the ham based foods and the peppers as well. It's just really like filling hearty food that can keep you powered through the rest of your day. But unfortunately, I wasn't able to try too much of the um, more famous heavier dishes just because we were walking so much. There's one thing though, Klaus, you do pass through the region called Via Franco del Bierzo and it's a wine production region. And I highly recommend that you take a day just to sample all of the different wines as they come out. It was just a really nice pause from kind of the more you know, rigorous walking and just being able to just enjoy a nice meal with really delicious wine um, is is fun too. So, okay, what kind of time frame do you need to calculate for or plan for if you want to do a Camino? That's a great question. So, if you're planning on doing the entire route, most people budget between thirty-five to forty days, which I realize is a very long time. That's just kind of at a moderate pace. Of course, some people are able to speed through and and do it quicker. In the States, we're notoriously known for not having decent time off um, and vacation policies. So I had to do a fair amount of uh, negotiation with my boss to get, uh, I was able to take, I think it was 18 days off of work. And so that's a, a large chunk of time. But I was able to kind of explain, you know, why it would uh, merit that kind of that kind of consecutive time off. Anyway, I did the entire walking process. I think it was May 20th when I started in June. Let's see. I think it was like June 1st when we finished walking. Um, so what is that? Two weeks or so. And then I budgeted in some extra time just to decompress at the end. So after I was done in Santiago, um, I needed a little bit of time just to relax and kind of get back into the groove of of not just living to walk. And so I had a few days in Sevilla where I just ate a ton of food and went shopping and stopped feeling so (laughs) pilgrim-like before I re-entered society back here. So yeah, so anywhere between, I would say you could do it in three, two, three weeks, I think is enough time to, to do the highlights or at least start from halfway and complete it. 
brackets is the Camino open the whole year? Is there any specific time where you should go? Or obviously yeah. in the winter might be not a good idea. That's a great question. Um, I think that, yes, seasonality is a huge piece to this. So if you go in, if you, the Camino is open all year. Um, it's advised that you go in the summer months or in the, the late spring months, just because that's the time that you'll have least of the kind of difficult weather um, and a lighter pack for you. I, I would personally say going in May was perfect because you have warmer temperatures, but it's not, it's not hot yet. And people that went even a few weeks after I did in June, they were, they were saying it, you know, due to extreme weather, it's been getting a lot warmer um, in places that we're not used to. And so it, it became difficult. So I would highly recommend April or May for the Camino uh, Frances. And if you're doing any of the other routes um, that hug the coastline, you might be able to get away with a little bit later in the summer, just due to the temperature difference. And I would advise not to go probably after October um, because you will hit snow in the mountains as you're passing through in Pamplona. And so you'd, you'd probably like to avoid that as much as possible. What should you calculate per day on spendings? How much do you need to have in your pocket there? That's a really great question. I, I've met a lot of pilgrims that do it very differently. Um, some people are on a shoestring budget and by staying with the municipal albergues, which are sponsored by the route, uh, non-privatized, and then sticking with a pilgrim's meal or even just some snacks, um, you can probably about $20 a day you could get by. Um, there's not much that you need other than your own pack and some boots and a change of clothes, which my my family was appalled by. They're like, you're, you're living out of two different changes of clothes. <laughs> So yes, shoesing budget is totally achievable. I also met a lot of other pilgrims who were not necessarily there to do like a very austere, you know, rigid hiking trip. And so they were having hotel stays every night and would have, you know, extended dinners and, and however you'd like to do your Camino was great, but they were definitely spending upwards of probably like 75 to 100 per day alone in, in, in food and, and lodging. And so it's really just what you'd like to spend. I'd say my personal Camino, I went, I would occasionally splurge on a, a one bedroom, a private one bedroom because people snore and, you know, over time you get, you get a little bit irritable. Um, so the way I would do it is um, I'd stay in one of the, the dorm rooms for about 10 euro a night or eight or 20 euro a night. And, um, and then on like every third day, I would get my own room just to just have some sort of privacy and, um, you know, just have some time to myself. And that could potentially be, I don't know, 30 to 40 euro. So definitely under 100 euro per day with food. But if you'd like to do the entire thing in hostel in hotels, um, then you'll be spending upwards of that. Mm -hmm. So you said everyone has um, his or her personal Camino for the reasons doing that, spiritual, religious, or whatsoever. And mm -hmm. um, so what was your personal biggest takeaway from doing this trip? Oh, that's a great question. And I think that maybe I've written about it better than I can explain it um, orally. But I think the biggest takeaway that I've, I've had is I've learned how little I need. I, I come from a very, you know, very wealthy country. And I think that a lot of the times, uh, what we take for granted, in terms of just having hot water every day and, you know, huge meals and access to cars and things like that, the consumerism, it was kind of glaring to see how little I actually needed to survive and, and also be happy. I mean, I was perfectly content in 
just walking through the mountains. And even when you have hard days, which is life. So of course you'll have them. It just, it felt manageable. And I think that um, something about silencing the noise and just being in nature and meeting lovely people and being with them while you're with them and then letting it go when it's gone. It was just a really beautiful way to just be in the moment in a prolonged you know, time frame that is very different than the, the culture that I live in in the States. And so that was a huge takeaway, um, just seeing how little I needed um, and just being very grateful for when that is provided. I think that the second takeaway would be just faith that it will work out. And I think there's immense privilege with that too, because I do have resources that allow me to feel this way. But I think that understanding that I don't need to plan the rest of my life out, especially post COVID, there's this urge to get started and, and, and get at least for people I've speak, I've spoken to recently, I just want to get my life situated. And I think the Camino was a really cool way of reversing that mentality and saying, actually, the only thing I need to worry about is the next step. And then what will be will be. And, um, and I'll figure that out at that point. And so it's just a really like mindful place to occupy again, which is very different um, and counterculture to the world I live in here. So I do find myself just kind of mentally back at the Camino all the time, just trying to figure out how can I get back there? Because, you know, there's a lot more competition for your attention here, uh, for your time, and just all of those resources that, you know, at the end of the day, these are great and beautiful things to have, but you can very much survive without them. So yeah, that's that's something that's definitely stayed with me. Um, as I've now come back and of course, just thinking about how do I get back for the next route? <laughs> yeah. Very well said. Once you're a solo traveler, individual traveler or adventure traveler, whatever one name you want to give this, you're hooked and then you always want to get back. So on that, um, what's, what's next on your bucket list? Yeah, that's a great question. In a few days, I'm actually headed over to Guatemala for a solo trekking adventure. I'm going to do some hiking. Um, there are a couple of volcano hikes that, are especially interesting. And then um, I've been learning surfing. I figured I live in California, it's time to try the sport. I'm not good at it yet, but I will try some surfing in Guatemala as well. So as much time as I can get outdoors, that's typically what I'm doing in proximity to a beach. <laughs> oh, no, that sounds like a great plan. Where can the listeners and viewers find out more about you? Sure. Um, you can follow at, at wander with Ren. So at wander underscore with underscore Ren on Instagram. And then my blog is um, www.wanderwithren.com. And um, I will say that I'm very much in the vein of slow travel. So the pieces are being released. Um, but I, I think that there's something to be said for being in the moment and documenting it and then um, kind of staying with that story before it's shared. So uh, it's not TikTok, but I am available. <laughs> Sounds great. I think um, this definitely makes um, a, a good taste of what the Camino is and what people can expect. So thank you for your time, Lauren. I think it was very insightful. I will put the links in the show notes that people can find you there directly. And again, thanks so much and talk soon. Thank you so much, Klaus. Take care. Hey Klaus here, before you leave, I have a question. Are you a traveler? Do you have a favorite travel destination or favorite travel experiences that you would like to share with the world? Then become a guest on the Why We Travel podcast. Simply message me and I will get you all the details for becoming an interview guest and then we take it from there. That's it for now. I'll see you in the next episode and have a great day.